It's been said that it's impossible to hate someone whose story you know. That's why stories matter, because they show us that we have more in common than we realize. My name is Bindu Lokray, co-founder of Consciously Unbiased, and I'm your host for this special Break the Bias podcast mini-series that is all about sharing and listening to each other's stories. Understand that there is more for all of us if we really think bigger picture. And so that's the mission. In this episode of Break the Bias, I sat down with Dee Poku, founder and CEO of the WeSuite, a private membership community and peer learning platform for women in leadership. Through the WeSuite, Dee is creating a community of women leaders with the idea that we are all stronger together and women will rise so much higher if we lift each other up. In addition to being an innate community builder, Dee's also a skilled marketer and communication leader whose background includes senior marketing roles at studios such as Paramount Pictures, where she has worked with icons such as Angelina Jolie, Reese Witherspoon, Scarlett Johansson, Emily Blunt, and Taraji P. Henson. Dee is an amazing community builder, and in this conversation, she shares how straddling two very different cultures growing up has shaped the work she is doing today. Now on to our show. Okay, early bird or night owl? Always early bird. Hmm. Homebody or partier? Teenage partier, current homebody. <laughs> Very honest. I love that. <laughs> Lover <laughs> or fighter? Lover. Introvert or extrovert? A blend. I appear extrovert, but there's definitely some introvert. Wonderful. Okay, so now I'm curious. Based on your answers, what was important to you growing up? And how is that similar or different from who you are today? Uh, I would say growing up, I was um, quite an insecure person. Um, We moved around a lot. We moved countries. I was really just finding myself. I was awkward, an awkward, gawky child, you know, definitely like a late developer um, (laughs) in all things, the last person, (laughs) but, you know, anything um, to happen to and so I think for me it was just like it was all about like finding finding my feet finding my people you know I I always felt other every you know in every situation you know my family were from Ghana I was living in the UK I just you know I, I was just definitely sort of still very much finding my way for the whole of my youth. I, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about that like Let's see. So you were born in the UK and you were raised in London as well as in Ghana. So you spent time. Mm -hmm. How did straddling two very different cultures shape who you are today? And even, you know, raising a son in New York, how does that shape you as a parent? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, at the time I felt very sort of isolated um, in my situation, it was, you know, it, it took quite a few years before I sort of found people who I felt, you know, were, were kindred spirits. But now I'm actually quite grateful for all of that, for all of that uncertainty, for all of that work I had to put into um, finding myself and, as, you know, a sort of assimilating and, and navigating situations where I felt different. Um, it's made me a stronger person. It's made me a more empathetic person. I think I have sort of, you know, high IQ. I'm really sort of in tune 
with other people because I, you know, I see myself, I'm looking for those sort of connection points always. And so I see who people are more deeply and I'm always thinking about that. And, you know, I'm a deep um, listener. And so, you know, all of those things that happened to me in my formative years have, you know, shaped the person I am today. And I would say my son obviously has it, you know, a lot easier than I did. But in in other ways, like, you know, things aren't like wildly different. Like he's still um, one of very few black boys in his environment. Like, you know, I would have hoped that things would have changed like quite a bit more. But he has me there to anchor him in that, you know, which was very different from my time where, you know, my parents grew up in Ghana, like that's what they knew. So when we were in Ghana, they were like, you know, on familiar territory, whereas Ghanaians saw me as sort of British and then, Mm. you know, Brits saw me as, you know, as African. And so I was like, you know, neither and both. I think for my son, there is more, um, you know, he's retreading a path that I, you know, I've sort of paved the way for him in in many ways. And so I can sort of be that um, support mechanism for him. Right. You know, that's pretty deep to think about what that must have looked like for you straddling between the British culture and as well as the African culture. And it's, it's amazing to hear that side of your story of, of how that was. And I'm sure there's so much more that goes into how, you know, you felt throughout your high school years and in your formative years into who you are today and why community is so important to you. Absolutely. You know, I haven't had any therapy to dig into it, but I'm sure that this, you know, a huge amount to you know to unpack from that time and and how it relates to why I do what I do today for sure yeah for sure i just restarted therapy again and it's it's incredible how when you look back at your upbringing and your experiences there and what is what has heat to them still they really are formative and sh- and shaping moments of your life and how you interact with the world today and what is a priority and what you're passionate about. So it's true. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm very, very passionate about making people feel seen in a way that I didn't, you know. And so, you know, people always ask me about relationship building or how I build great communities and I think it's because I really make an effort and I really make people feel seen and so the depth of interaction is really strong and so Mm -hmm. it's not about like how many times you meet or what you do you know it's about like the the connection that you have in that moment whether it's five minutes or five hours and that's what leaves a lasting impression and that's really you know where sort of long-lasting relationships and community comes from. Agree. Okay. So what is something that you used to hide about yourself that you are open to sharing now? I mean, I used to hide a lot about my culture, right? So I lived in Ghana for a few years. I picked up a Ghanaian accent. So I had this sort of interesting hybrid British Ghanaian accent and, you know, people made fun of me. You know, I am darker complexioned which I've never, I mean, it's not something I hid, but it's something that, again, you know, I was teased about. Dee isn't alone in feeling like she had to hide a part of her culture. This is known as code switching, where people from underrepresented groups adjust the way they express themselves around people with different racial or ethnic backgrounds. 
More than half of Black adults with college degrees say they feel the need to code switch, according to Pew. Um, and so like everything about my culture and, and who I was and where I really came from, I definitely downplayed um, as a younger person because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be sort of singled out in that way. There was no shame around it, but there was, I was definitely like uncomfortable about, you know, how other kids sort of made fun of, of Africans or what, you know, what we looked like or what, how we spoke or or, the, you know, this sort of idea of us being like more primitive, like there were all sorts of, you know, things going on, you know, it's sort of crazy to think about now. And um, whereas now I very much emphasize those things and I'm, you know, proud of where I come from, what my complexion is, you know, what my culture is, you know, what we wear, what we eat, who we are. And the world has, you know, somewhat caught up, which is great, but even regardless, you know, the fact that I found that for myself was important. Yeah. Um, I'm sure kind of going through that evolution and getting comfortable in your roots from Africa has also really helped you as a mother, right? Now, raising your kid in the U.S. has very different racial history that your son is is kind of a part of being exposed to. So that power and that confidence behind where you came from is probably just, you're probably so happy, right? That you're able to then show the evolution of, of this work that you've done and, and, and the importance of it to, to the next generation. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I think for my son, he's certainly still gone through some of the things that I did, but I was better, better place to have those conversations with him and to really you know, early enough for him in his in his life, counter any ideas that he's picking up from society about who he is or what his value is in a way that perhaps my mother wasn't able to do because she didn't really understand, right? Right, um, right. Exactly. And so I'm able to, you know, to have that conversation with him. I'm able to, like, take him to Ghana and for him to understand and, you know, um, every element of who he is and like how it informs, you know, who he is and how wonderful, you know, every aspect of, you know, the cultures that he's from are. And so being able, you know, to be sort of empathetic and, you know, to have a sort of, you know, a truly deep, deeper understanding of the path that he's taking and what he's experiencing, you know, experiencing is, it's great for me to have that as a mother and to be able to bring that to him. You know, and my husband, who is African-American, can, you know, bring a perspective through that lens, right? Because my son is, you know, has elements of, you know, Ghana and then the UK, but then also, you know, he's born and, and bred in America. And so, he, you know, he is African-American. And so my husband can, you know, bring that lens um, as well. So, yeah, Sebastian, good for him. <laughs> Good for him. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's no surprise that our values, our core values are fundamental to who we are. But some of these change over time and some of them really shape who we are today. The challenge becomes when our value system is triggered. And sometimes this can be in the form of microaggressions. So I'm curious, Dee, just thinking about your background and all the, the entire journey that you've been through, when was the first time you experienced a microaggression and what was that like? I remember it well. 
actually. There were a couple that happened in quick succession. Uh, but I was a black girl in a predominantly white school. And yeah, I was I was pretty smart, actually. Actually. And you know, and um and I have to say that because I would get praise for, you know, well, of course, you know, you're a good dancer. You know, it was like things like that, right? Mm. Um and starting a new school and immediately being put on the track team um, was an interesting one. It's like, does anyone want to check to see if I can actually run fast or are you just assuming <laughs> that I can, which I actually can't run fast. So like that, you know, I, you know, that I, I joined the team just to, you know, just to prove a point and let them down. <laughs> but yeah, those were like two early ones where actually, you know, academically I was really really strong but like those were the things that people chose to focus on Mm -hmm. how did it make you feel like do you feel like you kind of just brushed it off or at the time when you think about it does it carry heat to it I brushed it off I mean I I thought it was so dumb I just brushed it off like I just you know it was like you know, it was so silly. And I think that the thing that my parents really gave me um, is, you know, although I, I had, you know, certainly sort of insecurity about like what I looked like or like whether I was pretty or not, I did not have insecurity about whether I was smart and whether, you know, I could succeed. And that's something that they instilled in me from a very early age, the value of education, the importance of studying. And, you know, and actually, even though I resented that, I see now that I was very sort of grounded in that. And so, when things like that came up, you know, I, I just felt sort of sorry for the people involved and just, you know, walked away from it. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of confidence to be able to do that. You know, I mean, there are a lot of microaggressions that women entrepreneurs face, particularly women of color. What's the biggest thing that you've learned along the way, either the biggest or most useful tool that you can share with other entrepreneurs into how to handle microaggressions that they're experiencing. But it's such a tricky one, um, especially the fundraising process, which I found hellish. It's no secret that bias remains a big barrier for women founders, and particularly for women of color. Companies founded by women continue to receive only about 2% of VC funding. I learned a lot about how the systems and how the structures work. And unfortunately, for the moment, it's still predominantly white male. And so that's what you're walking into. And so you you kind of do have to adapt to that culture until we have more diversity and more of a level playing field. And that means you have to walk in with sort of that kind of bombastic energy, which is not really like my manner. Like I'm very sort of self-effacing, quite sort of humble, like low-key. I prefer to underpromise and overdeliver. Like that's, you know, that's just, you know, the way I approach things. But when you walk into those meetings, um, you need to brag and um, you need to say you are the best and the only. And you know, and so that, like, some of that just, you know, took some learning. But I would say that it's just something that you have to do. So you have to dig deep and find that extra ten percent of delusional confidence. I call it. <laughs> you know, you you have to sort of believe in yourself beyond your wildest dreams, and you have to find that energy and channel it and bring it to you know to every one of those meetings. And and to be honest, like you know, 
annoying as it is, I think that it, it's something that can serve you well in life. Mm-hmm. Um, people respond well, to, you know, to that sort of confident energy. Like they believe in people who believe in themselves. And so, you know, obviously you don't want to sort of stray into arrogance, but I would definitely say like really sort of try and sort of channel that inner delusional confidence and bring it, bring it to the table. But also don't allow any of those meetings or any of those rejections to knock you off your perch, you know, and, and, you know, it's hard not to, you know, for everyone, it's hard. Rejection is hard. Um, Hearing no is hard. Having someone, you know, dissect something that you've built and that you are a subject matter expert on and, and think that, you know, that they know better than you, all of those things are really hard, but you have to just kind of hold tight, anchor yourself, um, smile and nod, take what you, you know, what's useful, ignore the rest and just sort of understand that you're building something that's great and no one can take that away from you. That is excellent, excellent advice. Mm -hmm. Truly. Like, I feel like I just need a minute to absorb that because (laughs) that's, that's a life lesson. That's not just a fundraising (laughs) lesson. Yes. That's truly something that we, especially as women, women of color need to remember and need to communicate into the world every single day. Yeah. Wow. Well, amen to that. That was really incredible. You are a longtime marketing executive who founded the We Suite, which is a women's membership community with a mission to redefine the way women leaders achieve success for themselves and for their companies. Um, I think this is a great question to kind of go after what we just talked about is why do you think women supporting women in business sounds still so revolutionary to many people? I know. So for that, you have to go back to the early beginnings um, of women in the workplace. I mean, we're still sort of relatively new to the workplace in comparison to men. So we are, you know, we've walked into structures that were not designed for us. Um, and dynamics that were not designed for us. And so we're still reshaping the workplace as it is today. Additionally, when you think about how women are raised or girls, um, we're raised to be nice, not to cause any trouble, to be peacemakers. We're raised to not take too many risks. You know, I, I have a really great friend who has a daughter and, you know, we're both like, strong feminist, but when I look at the way we're raising our kids, there's definitely a real difference. And she's not even aware of it, but my son takes more risks. He's, you know, roaring around on his scooter, falling over, you know, doing crazy things. And this is all part of risk taking, falling over, making mistakes, hurting yourself, getting back up. Whereas her daughter is a lot more protected, not allowed to be as crazy. And, you know, this is all part of what is sort of shaping us as the future women that we become. And so, like, if you package all of that, you know, and then, you you know, you then you go into the workplace where there are very few women. So, you know, we're competing for less spots or we shouldn't be competing, but that's the sort of perception. So, like, these are all, these are the dynamics that we are navigating. And then we have to sort of somehow find a way to support and connect with other women and support other women and so that becomes hard because we have to you know unpack and unlearn everything we've been told we should be and you know and then sort of reapply this new self to this new environment 
Meanwhile, men have been raised to believe that the world belongs to them. And so they walk into these spaces um, with that self-belief, like, you know, I can succeed here. This is my space. And so, and because they don't have that sort of scarcity mindset, it's easier for them to share resources, you know, share ideas, make introductions, invest in each other's businesses, share, fund ideas, right? Because there's always more where that came from. And so that's what's going on. And so, you know, now what we need is for like women to to understand that the more there are of us, the better it is for us all. While both men and women benefit in their careers from having strong networks, research has found that women who rise to the top also have an inner circle of close women contacts. While there was no link found for the success of men in terms of the gender composition of their inner circles. Being the first and only CMO or CEO of color or woman, um, great for you personally, but you know, that's not where it should end. The whole point of having that platform is what you use it for. And so understanding that your role actually is to bring more women up, is to think about succession planning. It's like what we're really trying to teach other women. It's like use the platform and the space that you're lucky to occupy um, to bring more women up. Understand that there is more for all of us if we really think bigger picture. And so that's the mission. That is such a key term that you said about scarcity that we have. Because, you know, sometimes there are scenarios that you feel like women are not supporting women. And this this overarching idea of if we had more of us, if we took up more space, there would be more opportunity for all of us. Exactly. You know, I worked with someone and I really regret that dynamic to this day, but I worked with someone um, um, and we had a very competitive dynamic at work because we've been set up that way. That was like the way that our boss, that was the dynamic that he created. And so we were like incredibly, you know, and it was like so exhausting to compete with someone where, you know, when I look back on that now, like if we had joined forces and really thought about like, how do we bring our collective like skills and ideas um, to the table to combat the patriarchy that we found ourselves in and to bring more women into the mix, you know, and to fight back against the dynamic that had been created for us as opposed to falling into it and, you know, wasting precious energy on it. Like how much, you know, different that space could have been, our careers would have been, like how much we could have sort of, you know, changed, you know, the culture at that company. So really, you know, I advise all women to really think about that, like that woman that you're competing with or, you know, who makes you uncomfortable or who you feel is like after your stuff. Like, you know, just like take a minute and think about why you both feel that way, what's driving it. Um, and it, you know, it, like it takes being a really big person to do that, but actually you'll find that, you, you know, you are stronger together to steal a Hillary phrase. Absolutely. So what surprised you the most about starting this business? What surprised me the most about being an entrepreneur was an issue of actually of identity. And 
um, you know, I worked for all of these big fancy companies and I was so used to saying I'm D from X and D from Y and people would return my calls and be nice to me and, you know, invite me to things and, you know, um, accord me um, a, a certain level of respect. And then to go from that to just being like D from X company that no one's heard of. And especially, you know, um, being in LA, that surprised me. It surprised me in myself. It surprised me in other people, how insecure I felt, how differently people responded to me um, in social situations. And it was, it became this like vicious cycle of like feeling insecure, projecting that. So then people then assuming that I wasn't important enough. So then I felt less important. Like it was like, ah, Um, and I (laughs) remember... There were like uh, two things that happened that helped change the mindset. One was I was at coffee with a, a friend, a fellow entrepreneur, a male um, entrepreneur who was very successful. And I told him about something that happened that day um, where someone had either dismissed me or not returned my call and um, how I felt really sort of down about the whole thing. And he looked very surprised and he was like, you know, that stuff really spurs me on. Like, I just want to prove them wrong. And it's not that I walk around thinking, I just want to prove them wrong. But I think that just like, just having a sort of different mindset about things as opposed to allowing them to steal my joy, to steal my confidence, you know, using that as fuel to drive my own success, I think was an, a, a good one. And then um, just a friend who observed the way I described myself and my company. And she was like, I'm one of your best friends. And like, I wasn't very excited either. <laughs> <laughs> way to be honest. <laughs> we have the best relationship of all time. And so she was like, you have to bring it. Like you have to make people feel like what you're doing is amazing that they should want to be a part of it and they should be excited by it and they should want to know more. But if you're not projecting that, like there's no way they're going to receive that. And so you really have to kind of believe it in yourself and then project that. And maybe you have to, you know, start a few meetings with a bit of acting, you know, and like just channel your inner Sasha Fierce and then (laughs) eventually it'll, you know, feel like truth. Um, And so those things, those two things were really helpful for me um, in sort of combating that, you know, whatever you want to call it, imposter syndrome um, of, of, of switching from corporate to entrepreneurship. That's really helpful. That's amazing. Okay, so my next question is about the DEIB space currently. There is a lot of backlash and polarization happening. But at the end of the day, when I kind of like take off all the filters and look at what we're trying to do here, I feel like most of us have a similar goal, two goals, which is healthier relationships and deeper connections. At Consciously Unbiased, we believe that one of the best ways to do that is to break the bias. And to break the bias is by listening to other people's stories. And that's a big reason why I wanted to start this podcast is really just kind of understanding people's journey and their real stories, their real struggles. What are some ways that you feel like you break the bias in your own career? I mean, I love the storytelling element that you talked about, the power of telling stories. Uh, I worked in the movie business for most of my career and I saw again and again how a simple, you know, movie or documentary could change or soften the hardest of hearts. Um, and sometimes, you know, trying to sort of hammer home a point with stats and protests and shouting or, or any of those things um, actually could sort of 
harden people against um, the issue or, or, you know, or they sort of just zone out, but telling personal stories um, through film or just one-on-one could make a huge difference. And so I think, you know, from my former career, you know, being a part of movies, you know, An Inconvenient Truth or Brokeback Mountain or like just, you know, all of these like, or Babel that were all about like just telling human stories, I think really made a difference. And, you know, we would create these like great marketing campaigns and just like screen these films, like just small handfuls of, of people who would relate and then they would tell their friends, we tell their friends. And, um, and then you would sort of get this like groundswell of support. And so I'm really proud of that aspect of what I did in, in the past. And I've carried that over um, today in, in the community building because ultimately community is really about telling stories. And so by connecting women and allowing them the opportunity to sort of share their own journeys. And they're all sort of, you know, very different. They've all come to a similar place, but via different means and sort of understanding that they are not alone, that other people are experiencing, you know, have gone through um, similar trials and tribulations, have navigated the same obstacles. Um, And then just hearing how people solve for them right because there is no one size fits all for women in the workplace and especially not for women of color it's very nuanced um and so you need to kind of hear different stories different solutions and then think about how you want to apply what you've learned to yourself and how you problem solve for yourself so for me that's how i feel like you know help break the bias is like by connecting people and giving them the platform and the space um, to share stories and solutions. That's great. Um, okay, so I have a last question. If you had a pause button on life or a rewind button, which would you choose and why? <laughs> Gosh, I would say pause. There are many things in that I've done in my life that I regret, you know, where I, you know, made silly mistakes or failed at things or didn't get things. But I think that every experience has shaped me for the better, you know, whether, you know, no matter how painful they felt at the time, they've made me the person I am today. And I think I'm a better person for it. And I've learned from it. And so I wouldn't want to sort of rewind and change anything, but I often want to push pauses. I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, it's just go, go, go. And I think that I don't know what their look like. What does their look like? Like, what does success look like? Like, I have absolutely no idea because I don't feel like I ever get there. Like, it's just, there's always something else, you know? And so, like, I'm just sort of, you know, on the go, doing 5,000 things. And I would like to push pause and reflect and, you know, spend time with the people, you know, I care about and spend more time thinking about my vision for the future and how I want to get there. So, yes, 1000 percent pause. You know what? I interviewed an amazing guest a couple months ago and she felt very similarly. And she said that she learned it was really important for her to block out, maybe it was eight hours of a day, she'd put it in her calendar and it was completely and utterly her time to just stop and reflect on everything she has done and everything she has accomplished and where she wants to go next. Because 
we never give ourselves enough time to be kind to ourselves and be thankful for everything we have just thrown out into this world. I think it is so important because you are moving a mile a minute. You're changing culture. It is really incredible what the We Suite is doing for all these women. Thank you. Um, I love that eight blocking out eight hours idea. It's, you know, it's so great. I mean, like when you think about like, even when you go on vacation, even though my vacations are always workations, um, you just still, you know, you have those mornings when you wake up and you feel so clear headed and great ideas come into the mix. And, you know, I think it's incredibly important to try and pause, but it's very hard to do in practice. It, it is. It is. I know. And when you have a family life and all of that as well, it's very difficult to manage all the hats, but I, yeah. I love in theory. I think it, I think it is so important. It kind of like pushes you to the next phase. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dee. It was amazing chatting with you and having you on the podcast. I really hope to meet you one of these days soon when you're back in the Bay Area with an event or in LA or in New York. I have to say, this is one of the best podcasts I've ever done. I've done a bunch. Um, I loved your questions. So thoughtful. Felt like a good mini therapy slash cathartic (laughs) session. Um, So congrats. Oh my gosh. Oh, thank you so much. That means the world coming from you. Thanks for listening to Break the Bias. To learn more about our special guest and to get show notes, please visit consciouslyunbiased.com backslash podcasts. And if you liked the show, please share with a friend and subscribe and rate Break the Bias on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.